of just $20 or more a month is one of the most popular levels for our donors and it takes just minutes to contribute. Just go to kpfk.org slash support then click Sustainer Circle or call 818-985-2711. Thank you so much for your donation to KPFK Radio Powered by the People. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. California's lieutenant governor and other elected officials on Tuesday urged Taylor Swift to postpone her Los Angeles concerts as a way to stand in solidarity with striking hotel workers. Starting Thursday, Swift is scheduled to perform a six sold-out shows at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood near Los Angeles, with some hotel properties doubling, tripling what they charge because she is coming. Unite Here Local 11, which represents some 30,000 hotel workers, is negotiating for better wages, improved health care benefits, higher pension contributions, and less strenuous workloads. Contracts expired last month at more than 60 hotels, including properties owned by major chains such as Marriott and Hilton. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Good evening. I'm Angela Birdsong. Here are today's headlines. Food swamps and food deserts. Black August honors past freedom fighters and remembers their sacrifices. Yellow freight bankruptcy. NAACP in Antelope Valley fights police brutality. Kenya has agreed to lead a multinational force to Haiti. International news with Polina Vasiliev. And the community calendar, all this and more, coming up. The month of Black August is here commemorating the rich history of Black resistance as a month of profound significance and reflection in the struggle for racial justice and social change. Originating in California prisons during the 1970s, Black August was initiated by Black freedom fighters seeking to honor the lives and struggles of Black political prisoners fallen at the hands of the state. Black August offers a time to pay tribute to revolutionary moments like the Watts Uprising, Haitian Revolution, Nat Turner Rebellion, Fugitive Slave Law Convention, and the March on Washington. It is also a time to honor the birthdays and deaths of ancestors such as Marcus Garvey, Chairman Fred Hampton Sr., and Toni Morrison. 
Black August has a deep-rooted history within the African-American community. However, despite its decades of long existence, Black August remains largely unknown. The late Eddie Conway, Black Panther Party leader and former political prisoner, speaks about the freedom for fight for freedom, the drive for liberation at a symposium in Baltimore in celebration of Black August. And I'm, I'm going to invoke the name of Nat Turner now because that rebellion also happened in August. The reason why we took Black August, we took August and named it Black August, is to, to recognize some of the resistance. It's resistance that most of us don't even know. Um, in 1811, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, a slave named Charles rose up in rebellion with 1,500 other slaves from 10 plantations, and they marched down the Mississippi to take over New Orleans to establish an African republic here on the continent. This is like seven years after Haiti, and they were influenced by sailors and free people coming from Haiti after the, the rebellion in Haiti. They end up fighting three militias, and they lost, and they got captured and divided. 500 of them or so scattered into the swamps of Louisiana, and they got away. Uh, the rest of them got caught. The leaders got their heads chopped off. This is 1811, and all along the Mississippi Highway, all the way to New Orleans, they put their heads on posts one mile apart, completely down the river. The rebellion was so frightening that the state of Louisiana sealed the records of that rebellion in 1811, and the records didn't get unsealed until 2011. 200 years later, they sealed those records for 200 years. And this is something, and it is these kind of things that's happening that's in the records right now in state houses that we don't even know about that's not uneven unsealed yet because there was always this effort to show that we wanted to be accepted in America and we wanted to uh, become part of America and I maintain that from day one we've always resisted, we've always rebelled, we always tried to maintain our human dignity and all of that information has always been swept under the rug because no one wants, at least people in power, don't want you to understand that you have a legitimate right to rebel, to resist, to maintain your human, humanness, your dignity, and so on. Uh, so Black August was actually taken by the movement, liberation movement, and other movements to say that there's a significant thread of struggle throughout our whole entire existence here, and we don't want that loss. It's not just about the peanut man and Black History Month. It's about who we are as a people and how we maintain our human dignity. And so when you start looking, you'll see all kinds of events that's occurred that we recognize and we celebrate. But that particular one, Charles, in Louisiana, that was buried for 200 years, is very significant. Because they want us to always kind of like just look at the, the little incidents. This was a people that was trying to establish a state here, us, to maintain our freedom and dignity. Black August is a time to honor the fallen freedom fighters and leaders within the black community who dedicated their lives to fight for the civil rights and liberation. To learn and share the profound legacy of this empowering observance, Black Women for Wellness is launching its Black August Challenge, a transformative 31-day journey where they dive into the rich history of black resilience, examine the systems that have led to the oppression of people of color, and look at the work the new vanguard is doing to combat them. Find the Black Women for Wellness Black August Challenge at bwwla.org. 
To download the free Black August Teach-In Guide, go to BlackAllianceForPeace.com, where you can hear more of Eddie Conway's discussion about Black resilience with the Real News Network. Yellow Freight Trucking declared bankruptcy this week, and 22,000 Teamsters lost their jobs. Dan McQuarrie spoke with Eric Tate, Local 848 Secretary, Treasurer, and Glendora. What what, uh, do you attribute this to? A while back, they got a really large loan. Well, it's it's just a mismanagement of of Yellow Freight. I mean, they've had, you know, they've gotten large loans many of times, and they just uh, continue to um, pile up up debt to the point where it was just so enormous that they just couldn't, uh, you know, the whole, whole company collapsed under the weight of the debt. You know, the drivers uh, and the warehouse folks, uh, dock, work, dock workers, drivers and the dock workers out here, you know, they've they've taken many concessions uh, to try and help this company. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the upper management, you know, they don't take any concessions. They just uh, continue to, to drain this company of uh, all its resources. So uh, what do you see as the resolution is for your members? Well, we got to find our members uh, other jobs. Hopefully we can place the ones that uh are qualified to go elsewhere. Uh, the problem is, you know, there's not that many uh, doc jobs that are available and, you know, even even less uh, clerk jobs. So it's going to be hard to place people in those positions. But, you know, the truck drivers, the ones with the Class A licenses, they shouldn't have a problem finding another job. What kind of numbers are we talking about as far as uh, people who are out of work today? Across the country, it's 22,000. Yeah, 22,000 across the country. You know, local freight uh, didn't have as many as, as most locals, and we only had uh, 72 um, employees at the, the Compton facility. Well, thank you for talking to me, Eric. I appreciate it, and good luck to you and the, uh, the members. Absolutely. In the midst of successful drives, this comes as a blow to the Teamsters. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. This is Stanley Clark. Free Speech Radio can't survive without your generous support. Become a KPFK sustaining member now by pledging $1 a day at kpfk.org. Become a sustaining member. Your donation is tax deductible and membership has its privileges. I am a member, so join me, Stanley Clark, in keeping independent radio alive. Donate to KPFK at kpfk.org and do it today. Stanley Clark, we will join you. Remember to donate, renew, and become a member or join the sustainer circle at kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735 and follow the prompts. We start our August fun drive tonight at midnight. We're excited and we hope that you continue tuning in and joining us as we can bring you guys just progressive news and things outside of the box. City of Inglewood, Mayor James Butts and council members set a public hearing for August 22, 2023 at 2 p.m. to consider zoning code amendment number 23-0004 to modify Chapter 4 of the Inglewood Municipal Code to establish regulations for fast food restaurants citywide due to a potential overproliferation of fast food restaurants in the city of Inglewood. On March 1, 2023, the Planning Division staff presented a fast food overview. On July 5, the Planning Commission considered the draft ordinance and approved the recommendation to modify Chapter 12. Inglewood residents recall when it appeared that the city government did not care about the amount of fast food restaurants as more freestanding single-tenant fast fooding structures were being built along Century and Manchester boulevards. Some residents welcomed the slowing down of fast food restaurants in their town and hope for more fine dining and vegan and healthy restaurant options instead of drive through fast food restaurants. Meanwhile, 
The Defender reports that counties with higher obesity rates across the U.S. tend to have more food stores selling more unhealthy food options relative to counties with lower obesity rates, according to a report from the Urban Institute. In high obesity counties, the study reported that 65.5% of food establishments are likely to be unhealthy, as opposed to low obesity counties, where just 51.5% of food establishments are unhealthy. This is true across rural and non-rural areas. However, in the U.S., the highest obesity rates are concentrated in the South, and the lowest obesity rates are in the West, such as in parts of Colorado, Wyoming, California, and Nevada. The researchers studied the distribution of places selling groceries, things that people would eat or prepare at home, as opposed to restaurants. Research already linked high concentrations of fast food restaurants to obesity, but the role of different types of food stores are less well understood. The study found that dollar stores, as in Dollar Tree, Dollar General, and Family Dollar, represented a substantially larger share of unhealthy food establishments in high obesity areas than in low obesity areas. Dollar stores and other places that sell unhealthy food, such as convenience stores and gas stations, make up what food environment researchers call food swamps, places drenched in unhealthy food options with lower access to healthy food, according to the authors. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, reports black adults experiencing the highest rates of obesity at 49.9%, followed by Latinos at 45.6%, whites at 41.1%, and Asian adults at 16.1%. Obesity rates have been skyrocketing in the U.S. and is one of the most common pediatric chronic diseases in the U.S., per the CDC. By by 2035, experts predict over half of the global population will be overweight or obese. Besides administering drugs or or modify individual behavior, the Urban Institute tells the defender it is best to understand structural drivers of obesity. The researchers mapped the presence of food retailers per thousand people across the country, and they distinguished among different types of food businesses, grocery stores, gas stations, Dollar Generals, warehouse clubs, etc. Each business was labeled as offering food that, that is likely healthy or likely unhealthy. Likely unhealthy food establishments include convenience stores, dollar stores, pharmacies, gas stations, which tend to sell mostly shelf-stable and processed foods, according to Dr. Elaine Waxman, lead author of the study. Waxman further explains, likely healthy food establishments, including grocery stores, warehouse clubs, and other department stores, because they are likely to have fresh foods and proteins, although they also carry many processed and unhealthy foods. Studies have shown that when a dollar store enters a community in a food desert, that area is more likely not to get any other type of grocery store. Research also has shown that when a dollar dollar general moves into an area, it drives other grocery stores out. Although people shop at the dollar stores due to the low prices and due to its location, Close compared to no other grocery store nearby, those stores have limited fresh and healthy food options, tending to instead to sell soda, snacks, processed foods, and alcohol. They also don't need to pay as many workers as grocery stores. Some communities have started attempting to limit the density of dollar stores with a preference for grocery stores. The study excluded restaurants and farmers' markets. Sister Charlene Muhammad, with her pumps on the ground, covering a press conference called by the new Antelope Valley NAACP president, Lori Walker, to address police brutality against black women and allegations of mistreatment by child welfare officials. For more information about this case, you can read more at thefinalcall.com. Hello everyone, I'm Lori Walker, branch president of Animal Valley uh, NAACP, and I'm here with um, the family of Miss Yale Russell. This is her mother, um, this is her sister, this is her, her family supporting her. Um, 
here trying to get answers for Miss Russell. And I am a witness to how black families follow proper protocol. They follow the rules. They file and they request records and they just don't get them. They requested Bidingham footage and did not get it. And last week, when there was a press conference held by LASD, I was not notified as a branch president. The family was not notified. And their very intimate, very traumatic experiences were released to the world prior to them seeing it, prior to them knowing about it. So today, I am here representing all of the families that have had negative experiences with systemic racism, but not just the Sheriff's Department, but there's a direct link from the Sheriff's Department issues to DCFS, to DPSS, to our schools out here, where people are not being heard. So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna show you empowerment. We're gonna show you a community that is fighting back. Press conferences aren't supposed to exploit families regarding their children, regarding their families. And we're gonna put a stop to that. We're gonna show you what advocacy looks like. And it's not at, between press conferences, it's, it's the work that happens when the cameras are not around. That's what we're focused on. So, so if you're tired of, of the same stories circling over and over again, follow the new administration of the Antelope Valley in the ACP. We are actively and aggressively advocating for the most vulnerable population. So now we're gonna hear um, a bit from another mother, Jasmine. Jasmine has a similar situation. She um, had an issue with the Sheriff's Department and she was not given adequate information she was um, wrongly arrested, and when she asked the officer questions, he told her, you can thank O.J. Simpson for that. Wow. Jasmine literally ended up doing what she needed to do to get her case closed. After, ever since she, they closed her case, they pulled out every single complaint she filed like she never made it. Um. <clears throat> The only thing that I really want to say is uh, I want to know why my children were removed because I still, three years later, don't have an answer to that. And I also want to know where they were for three months when I couldn't speak to them, I had no contact, I couldn't reach out. Um, I have no reason for why my children were removed from me. That was the most traumatic experience in my life. I still go through anxiety because of it. Any knock on the door, um, I'm afraid because I think it's a social worker, somebody that's coming to get my kids. Um, they threatened to come and get another child that I had once I got pregnant when they already had my last two and I didn't know where they were. And so once again, I was afraid and running around Lancaster, literally hiding my son because I didn't want them to come and take my son. I didn't even know why they had my last two children. And so I fought for two years myself with no help of an attorney, no help from anyone, not, not even DCFS. They didn't give me any resources. They gave me nothing. The only one that helped me was Lori, and she was there the whole time. Nobody else helped me. I had no help from anyone. Um, the attorney that I had, she did not let me speak. Um, when I did try to speak, she put my, her hand up in my face and told me to be quiet. Uh, she pretty much told me that uh, if I let them, you know, uh, I don't know how to say it. So I'm shaking right now, so. <laughs> she pretty much told me that if I agreed to lesser things as far as the things that they lesser charges the 
didn't. And um, I, I didn't know where to go from there. They just, they threatened me and told me I had six months to complete 12 months worth of classes, a year's worth. And if I didn't complete them in six months, then my children would be adopted. And so for, for three months, um, I didn't sleep. I had no idea where my kids were. DCFS did not reach out to me. Um, I tried to request records from the sheriff's department. Um, couldn't get any. They said their machines were down and to try online. And I tried online for maybe three, four months and it was down online. And so I gave up on that. Um, I requested all my records from DCFS. They took everything out of my records. The only thing they kept was the fact that they took them and the allegations that were against me. And that's it. Everything else as far as where my kids were for three months, uh, the abuse that my children endured when they were in the foster home, the name changing, the perming of the hair, um, none of that is in the reports and I reported it all, all the way down to Catherine Barger's office. I even got a response from Catherine Barger, but it went nowhere. She told me she would request my records herself and she did not do that. And so here I am three years later still with no answers. I have my children, but my nine-year-old daughter, she still remembers the home that she was in where she was abused, where she was asked to not pronounce her name the way I named her, um, where a parent was done in her hair, where she was locked in a room from the outside in and she had to knock to get out to use the bathroom. And these are things that my child tells me every day here and there. She'll tell me a, a memory that she has. So I definitely, I don't need, I don't want, I demand answers of what happened with my children for three months. Why is it that these people, the police, the DCFS, all of them, why are they able to do these things and we get no answers? Why can't we request our records? Why can't we see what's being put onto paperwork? It, it's a problem out here and it's been stressing me out. It's been tearing me apart. And after seeing what happened to my friend Yayo, uh, I'm really disgusted with Lancaster. I don't even want to be in this city. I think it's the worst place to come to. And I hope that there's a change because until then, I would never want to bring my children here. I tell my friends, I tell anybody, don't bring your kids here. Don't come here yourself. This city is something else. And I can't believe the things that happened to me. I can't believe the things that happened to my friend and the way that they, they did her. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And so I say that we, we deserve answers and we deserve them like ASAP. Good evening, I'm Vat Jasmine Payne, a licensed psychotherapist, and I just wanted to stand before the people to make it very clear the importance of mental health and to address the trauma that's been imposed upon us systemically. And it starts early, public school, hospital treatment, even before we were birthed. And I wanted to make sure that my services were available and offered. And Ms. Lori, representing the NAACP, understood the assignment and that she allowed for um, someone, Ms. Annalisa, who I also know and love, um, having um, singing bowls and just to set the atmosphere that is calm and soothing because despite the need to protest and advocate and make sure that the harm that was done is articulated to the community, the people that are harmed need to be handled gently and tenderly and provided support and comfort because they've lived through it and they're still living through it. And so I wanted us all to know that it tr is traumatic to the community when we're harmed and we're devastated and we're mistreated and we're, we're hung upside down by our ankles when we're only three weeks old. It's a travesty and it harms and impacts us all, but that we treat each other gently and that we give each other the care that we need through mental health. Thank you. Recently, Sister Charlene posed a question to attorneys who filed a federal lawsuit on behalf of a young mother punched twice in the face by a sheriff deputy while she was holding her infant son. Yes, um, how is she doing? How are you doing and how is the baby? Um, she's obviously very, very scared, um, very, very stressed. Like Mr. Douglas said, this happened a year ago. She's had to deal with it privately during that entire time and now it's public. So she has to relive it again. You can see she couldn't even look at the video when it was happening because she's reliving it more and more daily because of this. 
Um, the child is now one years old. Um, but as Mr. Douglas said, that's a that's a bond be between a mother and child that that situation will never leave for them ever. Thank you. Getting help to buy groceries is now simpler than ever with CalFresh. You can apply for CalFresh online, over the phone, or turn in your application at a DPSS office. Then, use your EBT card at stores or order your groceries online and eat healthy. Click, cook, CalFresh. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. You ready? All right. Look, dog, I'm extra unique. My whole aura screen telling. I've been listening to feel like Griselda and Marvin Wynan just to make sure I'm balanced. I'm from the West, yo. Half of my partners is savage. The other half made it out the mud, but the taste of sludge didn't alter their palate. Yeah. I'm a dog, I'm a beast, and your father figure. Yeah. That little P365 was just that starter pistol. Yeah. She got a scorpion too, and a stang you just like a scorpion do. If a demon get gregarious, my little Harry don't do what accordions do. Yeah. That means bold. I was told by the G's of bones. Yeah. Keep your lady close, make sure she can work a pole. Yeah. But they wasn't referring to strippers. Yeah. I'm still Play with the clippers. Yeah. I done been blessed with a woman that play heavy, but turn the brick on the leg. Yeah. She keeps the devil off me like a cherubim. She make it clear to hold that we ain't sharing them. Yeah. I wish that you can easy like a chariot. They say a legend, hey, we had to bury them all. Yeah. But that's how I be in the jungle. Yeah. I grew up around wildlings and mongrels. Yeah. Ready to snuggle. Cause you a junkie. Yeah. I rock the stars to be humble. Yeah. I told my baby girl she gon' have more in her head than just pot up and bundles. Yeah. They say I'm rapping with hums. Yeah. I tell them hell no, I'm eating. Yeah. If you book me for a show and I can't bring my wife and my babies, I'm leaving. Yeah. Big daddy energy speaking. Yeah. I keep the enemy tweaking. I can go hop all on the track and they'll say I'm the hardest one breathing. Yeah. I am a beacon for heathen. Yeah. Me and my hood got cohesion. They saw me get with that dirty ass. Yeah. So they mess with they know what's next. That was Fi-Fi by Toby Wigwe. 
from his monumental live recording album, the Nigerian descent Houston rapper who simply says this about himself, quote, I make purpose popular, end of quote. The staff and commissioners from the City of Los Angeles Reparations Advisory Commission have been out in the community and met with faith leaders and many others to ensure that comprehensive and rich stories from black communities are told in an accurate and meaningful manner. At the intersection of reparations and faith, leaders like Malcolm X, Mary McLeod Bethune, and Gandhi were leaders in both faith and civil rights. Issues often are connected as places of worship have ability to bring people of the same faith together, but also connect people who have the same values, cultural background, and thought. The City of Los Angeles Reparations Advisory Commission seeks to understand African-American experiences within its boundaries. This study aims to learn how the city has impacted African-American lives and identify potential areas where where, where reparative measures may be most impactful. They are interested in hearing about your experiences and thoughts on issues that may help the city of Los Angeles better understand how to effectively serve African-American communities. To join the Black Experience Study and share your Black experience, visit blackexperiencela.com. In studio at KPFK 90.7 FM, the weather is hot and the weekend forecast shows low 90s for Saturday and Sunday. The Apple weather weekend forecast for our sister stations in Southern California, low 80s in San Diego, low 90s in Santa Barbara, and triple digits in Ridgecrest, China Lake. Here are some Pacifica headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Former President Donald Trump was indicted on charges he waged a campaign of deceit and fraud to overturn the 2020 election in the run-up to the deadly January 6th Capitol siege. The historic four-count indictment against a former president charges him with conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights, in this case the right to vote. Special counsel Jack Smith made the announcement in a brief statement last night. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. It also indicts six unidentified people, four attorneys, some of whom allegedly helped spread misinformation about the election, likely Trump's attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, one charged with crafting the scheme of fake electors to substitute ones Joe Biden won in six swing states, likely Kenneth Chesbrough, and an attorney who crafted the legal theory the vice president could reject certification of the election, likely John Eastman. It also indicts a justice department official who allegedly did Trump's bidding by using the department to, quote, open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud, likely Jeffrey Clark. He resigned from the department in 2021. The sixth co-defendant is an unnamed political consultant who allegedly helped craft the fake electors plan to obstruct certification of the election's outcome. The 45-page indictment starts by claiming Trump lost the 2020 election but was determined to stay in power. So he knowingly spread lies and misinformation the election was fraudulent and that he actually won to sow distrust in the U.S. electoral system. It also accuses Trump and his allies of pursuing unlawful means to overturn the election results in six states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, where they began recruiting slates of fake electors to sign certificates falsely stating Trump 
not Democrat Joe Biden, had won their states. Those certificates were ultimately ignored by state lawmakers, but prosecutors say it was part of a corrupt plan by Trump and his allies to subvert the results of the election. Trump is denying the charges and compared them to Nazi Germany. His former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, calls the charges a violation of the rights to free speech against an American citizen. It's Trump's third indictment this year as he pursues the Republican presidential nominee. Meanwhile, two more Republicans in Michigan were indicted in relation to the fake elector scheme in that state for allegedly accessing and tampering with voting machines after the 2020 election, including a former Republican candidate for attorney general in the state. Some 16 fake electors in Michigan were indicted by state officials last month, including high-ranking members of the state's Republican Party. Historic flooding in China, the capital Beijing, has recorded its heaviest rainfall in more than a century over the past few days. Chinese authorities say the torrential rains from a typhoon have destroyed roads, knocked out power, and caused at least 21 deaths, leaving 26 others missing. A powerful typhoon has slammed into Okinawa and other islands in southwest Japan, with high winds injuring more than 30 people as it now heads towards mainland China. As the world is on track to have the hottest July in some 100,000 years, four progressive U.S. senators have sent a letter urging the Justice Department to prosecute oil companies for misleading the public about the impacts oil and gas drilling would have on the climate, comparing companies like ExxonMobil and Shell to tobacco companies. It says the companies misled consumers and discredited climate science in pursuit of massive profits. Records earlier this year year show Shell scientists knew as far back as the 1970s the climate warming impacts of fossil fuel emissions. Exxon scientists also knew that. Both downplayed and ignored that science in its public messaging and advertisements and even financed climate denial messages. The letter accuses the two companies and possibly others of violating several federal laws including racketeering, truth in advertising, and consumer protection laws. Democrats Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey of Massachusetts, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, and independent Bernie Sanders of Vermont signed the letter sent out Monday. I'm Christina Onestead, reporting for Pacifica Radio. Here is today's international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere with Polina Vasiliev. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international highlights from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. Kenya has agreed to lead a multinational force to Haiti. Telesource Gladys Casada reports. On Tuesday, the Prime Minister of Haiti, Ariel Henry, confirmed that he is in contact with the President of Kenya, William Ruto, to formalize the advances that will accelerate the arrival of the support forces to the National Police. Henry assured that the President of Kenya ratified that in the next few days, the reconnaissance and evaluation mission will arrive in the Caribbean country in the midst of the controversy due to the rejection generated by the Haitian sectors and the international community that evaluate the mission as a foreign intervention. According to President Ruto, the African nation will deploy 150 officials who will be under the orders of the United Nations. On the other hand, the government of Bahamas said in a statement they welcomed the decision of Kenya and committed 150 people to support the effort if the United Nations authorizes the force. Kweku Lumumba, the former co-chair of the Atlanta Green Party, told Radio Sputnik that Kenya is being compensated to be a U.S. proxy in leading a U.N. intervention force in Haiti. So I think it's important for the listeners to understand how the United Nations works. With IET, the question becomes, why doesn't the United States send its own troops into, into Haiti? Why, unlike like, like 1915, why does it send its Marines in to occupy and do its work? Why is it asking other nations to lead a UN force to into IET for the purpose of doing its bidding. And why did Kenya accept? So when we look at where these UN peace, so-called peacekeeping forces exist, there are 12 missions in the world. 50% of them, six are in Africa. And out of those nations in Africa, Rwanda dominates the percentages of the top contributors of military personnel. 
So we talk, we, 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 then we look at and see Rwanda's role, but we ask ourselves, why does Rwanda do that? Why is Kenya willing to send in troops as a lead force for a UN peacekeeping mission? It's because they make money. They make millions of dollars. These nations that volunteer for this are, are reimbursed by the United Nations, which is funded in, in by over 25% by the United States. So you see how now it goes back to the United States putting money into the United Nations peacekeeping program, which then goes to these nations like Kenya if they lead a force. And they make upwards of dozens of millions of dollars a year for doing this. Rwanda, for example, easily makes um, over $7 million or up to $7 million in those programs in Africa alone per month. So now we can see why it is that a, a Kenya would jump at the opportunity to make this kind of money by sending troops into IET. Now to the latest on the crisis in Niger. As ultimatum deadlines loom for the deposed Niger president's release, Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, military chiefs are meeting in Nigeria to decide on a course of action, reserving the possibility of resorting to force. The governments of Mali and Burkina Faso issued a warning to ECOWAS and the UN against using force in Niger. The transitional governments of Burkina Faso and Mali warned that any military intervention against Niger would be tantamount to a declaration of war against Burkina Faso and Mali. Denounce the persistence of these regional organizations in imposing sanctions that aggravate the suffering of the people and jeopardize the spirit of pan-Africanism. Local reporter from neighboring Nigeria, Timothy Obiezu, sheds more light on how local countries plan to help resolve the crisis in Niger and on the state of relations between Niger and France. It's not entirely strange for ECOWAS to intervene, you know, in, in its member countries or states when there's been a coup. We've had five coups since 2020, you know, we've had in Guinea, there's been a coup in Mali and in Burkina Faso since 2020 and um, ECOWAS is always trying to mediate. But um, what is happening or what we're seeing here is um, that Guinea, Mali and Burkina Faso, these three countries that are now governed by um, soldiers or military rule, you know, uh, have also are pledging some allegiance or solidarities. And also it's important to note that these three countries have not also, like ECOWAS has done, sanctioning Niger. They have not sanctioned Niger. In fact, they are, you know, saying they will continue to support Niger. The relations between France and Niger, you know, are based on a long history on the more than 60-year rule of Niger during the French colonial era. And Niger and France are long-time partners in terms of trade. France mostly depends on uranium from Niger, you know, to be able to power its nuclear power plants. And even before the, the, the coup happened, there's been concerns, you know, there's been some form of resistance from the Nigerian saying, that you know what they have as the as the natural deposit you know in their country is not yielding as much dividends for them they're not seeing the, the benefits in terms of development in the country all the French have to do is leave. We don't need them. Even without them, the country will develop. It's only a question of time. When the Mali's time came, you saw what they did. What suffering the Malians went through after assuming Goethe's coup d'etat, what sanctions they faced. Everything was cut off. Even petrol. The same goes for Burkina Faso, which is still under sanctions. Now it's Niger's moment. All things in their own time, the people of Niger must pray. As an African, I can say that France is at the heat of all the problems that Africans are experiencing in Niger. France is the root of our suffering. The people of Niger have become aware of their neighbors. We've seen the examples of Mali and Burkina Faso. So we too are going to follow in their footsteps. All France has to do is leave. I know very well that the French are not threatened. Europeans are not threatened in Niger. Not all Europeans have a problem in Niger. We don't have a problem with the French or European nationals. We have problems with European governments. The UN Food Agency has suspended Yemen's malnutrition prevention program for August. The decision is expected to have a devastating impact on the country's 2.4 million malnourished citizens. Critical funding shortfalls is cited as the major reason for the suspension. Yusuf Maori explains the politics behind Western humanitarian aid efforts. They need chaos in places like Yemen, like Somalia, like, like Ethiopia, like Syria, 
in order for them to um, you know, announce a campaign to save the starving children, the starving people that are uh, you know, stricken with malnutrition, stricken with uh, cholera, stricken with all types of illnesses, and of course malnutrition in these poverty war-torn nations. Once, they, once they've uh, um, engaged in a massive media and political campaign, they use that campaign to collect funds from donors, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of funds so that they can engage in their food provision program in Yemen and uh, in, uh, elsewhere in the world. Once they've collected all the donations, once they have millions and millions of dollars that they can allocate in the way that they see fit, then they send food portions to Yemen. However, we then we then are surprised uh, when UN officials announce that this program has been suspended, right? And the reason why it's been suspended is because lack of funds, you know, quote unquote, lack of funds, or because food supplies, food portions are being siphoned or diverted. If you look at all of their operations, not just in Yemen, but Somalia, Syria, Ethiopia, it's always the same case. They suspend their food program only after they've collected millions and millions of dollars of uh, worth of money, and then they suspend that program. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasilyev. KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Dick Plackkin, writer for City Watch LA and retired Los Angeles city planner, explains in his commentary about more kick-the-can-down-the-road responses to the climate crisis. In previous columns, I wrote that in politically blue Los Angeles, like other large American cities, local government has dropped the ball on the rapidly unfolding climate crisis. More specifically, first, LA City Hall has never prepared a mandatory environmental justice or voluntary climate change element for its general plan. Two, the executive climate documents posted by former L.A. mayors Antonio Villaragosa and Eric Garcetti were never subjected to public workshops, city council hearings and votes, and environmental impact reports. They also had no budget allocations and vanished when the mayor's terms ended. Furthermore, Mayor Garcetti's approach relied on adaptation to climate change, not reductions in the primary cause of the climate crisis, greenhouse gas emissions. LA's new mayor has devoted her political capital to reducing the number of unhoused people. This is one reason why she has ignored climate issues. Four, LA City Hall does not monitor such climate change indicators as local greenhouse gas emissions. Five, California's best tool for assessing a project's climate impacts, the California Environmental Quality Act, is circumvented through City Council's statements of overriding consideration. These statements allow elected officials to approve projects despite their carefully documented environmental impacts. And six, LA City Hall's standard practice makes the climate crisis worse such as approvals of expensive, car-dependent McMansions and apartment buildings in which residents use their own cars, not mass transit. When it comes to the climate crisis, the apple does not fall far from the tree. The many forms of climate change denial at L.A. City Hall are in sync with the federal government's focus on climate change adaptation. They both shelved reductions in the extraction and combustion of fossil fuels, the primary cause of climate disruption through their greenhouse gas emissions. This was made clear in President Biden's recent response to current and future heat waves. First, the Department of Labor will issue hazard alerts for extreme heat and enforce heat-related standards such as water breaks. Second, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, will improve its weather forecasts. President Biden's approach totally avoids any reduction in fossil fuel usage. As a result, the Energy Enforcement Administration reports that the production and consumption of fossil fuels will expand even as wind, solar, and geothermal electricity generation also increases. The White House's approach is therefore a temporary adaptation to worsening heat waves 
without addressing their underlying causes, the production and consumption of fossil fuels. As for the claim that through adaptation, sustainable energy will become cheaper than fossil fuel and eventually replace them, there is no evidence for this. First, the deregulation of fossil fuels, as proposed by the big oil and gas corporation, swells their profits. These profits attract more investment for these hazardous energy sources, not less. Second, the practical limits of adapting to rapidly changing climate conditions will soon be reached. When this happens, there will no longer be any adaptation techniques left. Once this happens, greenhouse gas emissions will continue the relentless drive, temperatures will rise, and other climate change symptoms will go even higher. Like the false promise of privatizing the housing market to solve homelessness, free market solutions to meet the growing energy needs of a perpetually expanding capitalist economy make the climate crisis worse, not better. Reliance on these market forces ensures the worst climate scenarios will become the new normal. What it is, KPFK, I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News community calendar. Tag Team Marketing presents Garvey Nation pre-launch party to learn about the amazing life of Marcus Garvey and the Buy Black movement. This event is online and in person on Friday, August 18th, 7 p.m. Pacific Time at the Holiday Inn Los Angeles, LAX Airport. 9901 La Cienega Boulevard. For more information about this free event, go to GarveysNation.com and tell them that you heard about it on KPFK. Senator Stephen Bradford, 35th District, is hosting a back-to-school backpack giveaway and resource fair. Saturday, August 5th, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Cal State Dominguez Hill, in the North Lawn area, 1000 East Victoria Street in Carson. Call Jasmine Guerrero at 310-412-6120 for more information. Join Black Women for Wellness for their annual Reproductive Justice Conference, Black Women Healing from Our Past, Protecting Our Present, and Preparing for Our Future, on Thursday, August 10th, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the California Endowment. This week is a pre-conference workshop that centers on the plight of black pregnant women in prison, a group referred to as Invisible Mothers. The workshop is Thursday, August 3rd, 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. To learn more about Black Women for Wellness and for details about the Reproductive Justice Conference, visit bwwla.org. Black and BIPOC High school and middle school students are invited to participate in the Women's Leadership Project Youth Facilitated Our Art, Our Healing, Our Power Institute at the Stoneview Nature Center in Culver City on Friday, August 4th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Focusing on art as a tool for healing and empowerment with art making, poetry, literature, mental health and wellness resources, filmmaking instruction, dance, yoga, and safe space creation. Breakfast and lunch will be provided at the event. Get more info at womensleadership.org, womensleadershipla.org. Calling new shooters to reinforce your basic shooting concepts and intermediate shooters to test your fundamentals and push beyond basic applications with Stephanie for the next Shooters Cipher on Sunday, August 13th and September 10th. Cypher days are reserved for shooters that have already taken the basics of pistol shooting with Stephanie and are not for inexperienced persons. For more information about Cypher days or to take the basics of pistol shooting course, email shooterscypher at gmail.com. Althea Moses Fitness Club, the first Saturday of every month, 9 to 10 a.m. at Edward Vincent Jr. Park in Inglewood in front of the tennis courts. For more information about this Saturday, August 5th, call 310-740-1157. For mental health resources, crisis support, helplines, and warm lines, go to NAMIUrbanLA.org under resources. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions. You've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you for keeping 
KPFK a strong and independent source of music, arts, news, and information. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, and all Rebel Alliance News contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. Coming up next is Feminist Magazine.